0: Uh, hi, everyone. Um, my name's Hannah. I'm part of the team here. Um, I'm going to be speaking to us this morning from our, our series, which is in the middle of the story about Joseph. But I actually um, wanted to start this morning with a little bit of a straw poll. I hope that's okay with everybody. Um, so I'd like you to put your hand up loud and proud if the following applies to you. So it's a very important straw poll. hope you're all ready for this. How many of you... For whatever reason, even if just for research purposes, even if you switch the television on and then you've just let it stay on for a few minutes just to check it out, have been watching Love Island. Put your hand up right now. So a few of you, okay. So kind of interesting. I'm sure there's a few more of you than that. Come on, that was like, there were a few faces like, I'm not going to admit to that in the church, Hannah. Just, uh, no. So um, drama, Megan has stolen Wes from Laura. Shock right? And uh, Georgia, We Are Not Worthy of Love Islands, Georgia reads the latest tabloid headings. So, interesting. We have this kind of insatiable appetite for drama, don't we? Scandal. That's where that's really going there. Um, We have this insatiable appetite for drama and for scandal and we want to know what's happening with who and which politician and which nation and what's the most ridiculous whirlwind of drama that we've heard recently. But here's my question. Do you ever get weary of scandal? Because I do a little bit. Do you ever get weary? Weary of scandal? Emphatically, yes. Sometimes I catch myself wondering, are there real heroes in the world? I know it's a bit of a cliche question, but I do. Are there real heroes in the world? People with integrity and honesty, people who I can look at and think, I have confidence in the world because Andrew Harding is here. People like that, you know what I'm saying? I'm a big fan of Andrew Harding, and I am. Um, I think I heard a man um, like this recently speak. I was at a leadership conference down in London, and it was at the Royal Albert Hall. And his name was Brian Stevenson. Some of you might have heard of him. He's a defence lawyer in the states. He's written a book called Just Mercy. Have to admit, I've not read it yet, but so many of my friends have read it and raved about it that I feel like, with integrity, I can say. Here's the book. You could read it this summer. Um, And uh, it tells the story of his work with clients on death row. And he's worked especially with ethnic minorities and children who've been incarcerated and faced injustice. And um, he spoke for 50 minutes, I kid you not, with no notes, which for me is enough to earn him my absolute respect and admiration to start with. But he spoke about a vision for justice because we have a just God. And I kid you not, at the end of his talk there was a 10 minute standing ovation in the Royal Albert Hall, like literally you couldn't stop everybody clapping. And there were tears and there was clapping and there were sincere pledges to do everything differently. And we felt like we'd witnessed history. And in that moment, I honestly believed like the world was going to change. And then I stepped outside of the Albert Hall, out into the bright sunshine of London. And someone said something to me that's really cut through the kind of, almost like the emotion of that moment. And it was Lydia, Carl's eldest daughter. And it was true and perceptive. And she said this or something like this. She said, Hannah, you know, everyone's clapping. Everyone's cheering. Everyone is now talking about race and justice. And Brian is a hero. But there would have been long decades of quiet perseverance where most people would have thought he was just wasting his time. He would have been maligned and ignored and in his profession looked down on. But it was the years of silent faithfulness that brought him to today. Years of silent faithfulness. And I was reminded of that as I came to prepare this week. We're continuing in this series that we've called Life in Technicolor. And it's the story of a young man called Joseph. And it's basically all about his years of silent faithfulness, the challenges and the trials that came his way, the tests that he faced, just like we do in our own way in this city at this time, but how years of silent faithfulness and perseverance saw him through from his dream all the way to it becoming his destiny. And uh, we are too easily uh, impatient with silent faithfulness, we live in an Instagrammable culture. Everything is instant. We make judgments based on sound bites, not on entire talks. So don't judge me too quickly. I've only just started. <laughs> but it's these things: it's silent faithfulness, it's detail, it's nuance, it's depth, that make up the full and technicolor lives that we lead. And so today we're coming to a part of Joseph's story that is full of scandal, it gets kind of saucy, it's interesting, and your ears may rightly prick up and think, hmm, in the Bible, interesting, but as I read the story, I'd love you to listen for the depth, for the silent faithfulness, because it's all there. So if you've got a Bible, um, then you might want to open it, we're at the very beginning Um, of the story of God's people in a book called Genesis. And it's chapter 39, and I'm reading verses 6 to 20. But if you don't have a Bible, then it'll come up on the screen behind you, so don't worry about that. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Saucy story, huh? I thought I might retitle this, When Joe Said No. So that was just a little, little gift to you all this morning. And uh, the truth is, we will all face the no test at one point or another, won't we? And if you've been around any amount of years, then you've probably faced it numerous times over already. Um, we live, I was thinking about this a little bit, we live in a culture that says everything is permissible. It's all right, do, do what you want, live however you want. So long as you don't hurt anybody, it's all right, don't worry about it. Go for your life. And uh, the Bible, interestingly, says something quite similar. You can look it up yourself, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Everything is permissible. Sounds familiar. But the problem is that the Bible ends that sentence with the words, but not everything is beneficial. So you can do whatever you want, but not everything you want to do will be good for you or other people. That's kind of the Bible's play it. That's God's take on it. And the, and the first thing that I want to really say, so hear me, in a talk about saying no, that we've all probably heard lots of times over if you've been around church long enough, is that God is not a killjoy. God is not a boring old man sat in a cloud not wanting you to have any fun. Christians, people who follow Jesus, are not um kind of bland, sexless species of human who live closeted in their own moral universe and uh, run around wearing sandals and singing hymns when nothing is permissible, apart from wearing sandals and singing hymns. God (laughs) made us, made you, made me for a full technicolor life. He made us with dreams and hopes and desires and sex drives. He made us that way because he's good and he wants us to enjoy those things. But he also has things to say about how we deal with and how we live with those hopes and dreams and desires and sex drives. And I don't want to just talk about sex today, which some of you will be thrilled to hear. That's the test that Joseph had placed in front of him. Um, But for us, those tests, those desires could be other things. Could be alcohol, could be fame, could be like another succulent from Sainsbury's when we already have seven in the bathroom cabinet. Does anyone else get seduced by succulents on the way into a supermarket? Come on, put your hand up. I I, I mean, I have to say no every time I walk into Tesco at the minute. It's horrendous. Um, But I want to suggest to you, there are three different kinds of desires. So it's going to come up on the screen. Stuff, self, and senses. And we've all got them. We've all got desires. I've got them. We've all got them. Uh, We're all different in different ways. So be tempted in different ways. So stuff, that's like houses, cars, more vintage items from car boot sales. We just can't help ourselves. Stuff. Uh, Self is like fame, authority, power, recognition, promotion, reputation. That's a really big one in kind of middle class Edinburgh, isn't it? And then senses. um, That's basically our physical appetites, sex, food, drink, drugs. And these desires are not in themselves bad, but left unchecked, they will run riot in our lives, right? We, we all know that already. You guys are not stupid. Um, so it's what we do with them that counts. And if our desire is not checked and held in check by a bigger desire for God and his fully technicolor life, then we've got a problem. So let's come to the story of Joseph and see what does he do with his desires The first thing we learn about Joseph, verse 6. Joseph was a strikingly handsome man. He was, in fact, I think it was put differently there, well-built and handsome. And I really dug into the ancient Greek for you guys here this morning. And the literal translation is, Joseph was hot. Okay, or for those of you who may be a little bit older, Joseph was a stud, according to the 915 gathering this morning. I, I imagine that Joseph kind of walked down the street. And maybe he got wolf-whistled. I'm just, you know, it's not my personal experience, but I'm imagining for Joseph that might have been the case. Girls might have giggled when he talked. Oh, Joe, you're so funny, Joe. Do you know? I think that probably happened to Joseph. And um, sometimes just who you are puts you in a place of trouble. And that is not your fault. But you've got to take responsibility for yourself. Joseph had a hot body, and he took responsibility for his hot body. So young men take note. As time went on, verse 6 and 7, his master's wife became infatuated with Joseph, literally obsessed, like she couldn't think about anything else apart from Joseph's hot body. And uh, really interesting when you think about those first four words as time went on, because Joseph, what's happened to Joseph has moved from arrogant little brother, hey, I've got a dream, you're all going to bow down to me, and, and he suddenly missed a, I am a big deal, chief of staff for Potiphar. And, and it's really interesting that his test, it doesn't come over here when he's in a pit, pleading for his life, trying to avoid being murdered by his brothers. No, his test to say no doesn't come then. It doesn't come when he's on a slave stage being bid for in the hot Egyptian sun doesn't come then it comes when it looks like Joseph has just about got his stuff together when it looks like things are kind of looking up for Joe when you might have thought that he was doing quite well that that's when that's when this happened and I find that fascinating how often temptation comes to us at a point in our life where we think we've kind of got it together and we're all right thank you very much And uh, I don't need to really think about that stuff because that doesn't happen to me. But temptation happens to us in times of blessing and favor and success because it's at that point that we're maybe a bit more vulnerable almost to it. That's quite a scary thought when you think about the amount of power available to some of the freest and most successful men and women in our world right now. The potential for disaster. So can I humbly suggest that if you are maybe sitting here thinking, I've got things pretty much sorted and life is going well for me, um, then it might be that you maybe need to hear this story this morning because it could happen to any of us, it could happen to me, it could happen to my husband, it could happen to anybody. So as time went on, then verse 7, Potiphar's wife took what we might call the direct approach and said to Joe, sleep with me. It's kind of like the ancient Egyptian equivalent to that Spice Girl classic, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? Except there is less voulez-vous because it's more of a command and less of an invitation. And uh, Joe says, no. Verse 8, he refused. And uh, honestly, the more I have thought about this, the more respect I have for this man. And guys, I'm trying to enter the male psyche here, so help me out for a minute. Hopefully I don't patronize you too much. Joe back up here. Joe, he's a man, okay, and he's in his early 20s. you following me? He's a man, he's in his early 20s, and this very lovely Egyptian woman comes to him and says, here is my naked body, and he says no. That is, I don't know about you, but that's enough to like earn him my respect and admiration, let alone the fact that he is a Hebrew slave with currently absolutely not looking likely that he's going to get married anytime soon if you know what i'm saying kind of read between the lines there no opportunity to exercise his god-given sexual appetite anytime soon and here is a rich contoured perfumed beautifully worked out egyptian woman offering him her naked beautiful body and joe says no And uh, Joseph isn't some kind of spiritual giant or superhero. He's not numb to physical temptation. He says no for two specific reasons, and they're both there, right there in the text. So come back with me. Verse 8, he says, Potiphar has put me in charge of everything. The only thing he hasn't given me is you. Verse 9, how then could I do such a wicked thing? can also be read, how could I violate his trust and sin against God. Joseph uh, sees that having sex with Potiphar's wife would be a sin. Sin against Potiphar and a sin against God. S- sin. Sin is like this funny word, isn't it? I have a bit of a love, hate, hate relationship with the word sin. Maybe I'm not the only one in the room. Sin's been wor- used, I think, badly. By Christians it's been used as a word of judgment, suppression, it 's been shouted through megaphones at the wrong people. It's become like this buzzword of, of militant Christianity, and uh, it basically just means wrongdoing. That's all it means. wrongdoing. We mess up. we get stuff wrong. I mess up. I get short-tempered, I mess up. that's sin. And when we mess up, we don't just mess ourselves up, but we mess other people up. We hurt them, right? You guys know this already. And so we can understand the sin against Potiphar, because that's kind of the material of Jeremy Carl shows, isn't it? He slept with my wife. Um, and we're all like, yes, that is wrong. We know that stuff. But sin against God... Well, to our culture, that is like just weird, isn't it? What does that mean? Sin against God? It's nothing to do with him. But what this story tells us and and, and what the story of being God's people tells us is that it's true. That our sin, our wrongdoing doesn't just hurt ourselves or hurt other people, but it actually hurts God. That it has consequences, that it, it it actually displeases him, it upsets him, it angers him. And Joe knows that, he's been around God long enough to know that this potential act of bedroom antics, however fun it might be, would displease God, would be a sin against him. And so Joe says no. And then unfortunately for Joe, Potiphar's wife is what we might call a persistent woman. She's a nagger. So she keeps asking, verse 10, she pestered him day after day. So there's not a no, just like once. No, I'm I'm not going to sleep with you. But there's like a no. No, thank you. No, thank you very much. Definitely not. Absolutely not. No, never. Uh, Ongoing, relentless saying no. A silent faithfulness. Over a stretch of time, at which at any point we might have sympathized with Joseph, if he'd caved, said, hey, Joe, you did so well. You held out for so long. Well done. I mean, you're a man and you're in your early 20s. Like, I'm so proud of you. But it was just that she was so, you know, she just asked so many times. So, you know, don't worry about it, Joe. But there will always be, uh, it's just that, will not there, for you and for me. It's just that it was so easy. It's just that, it's just that I think the question for us, for me and for you, will there also be a silent faithfulness? A no that is repeated in every moment and noticing. And it helped me a little bit to think about it like fishing. So if you want to have a little look at this picture of this fish just here. It's a bit like Nemo. Just thought you'd all enjoy that this morning. So um, if you want to pretend like you are Nemo for a moment, you are this fish. I won't make you all make fish faces at me, but if you want to, feel free. Um, So you're swimming along in the ocean and you're hungry because you're just a fish. And suddenly there's this nice piece of bait in the water. Oh, nice bait. There is no sin in the bait. There is no sin in being tempted. It's what you do about it that counts. The sin is not in the bait, the sin is in the bite. It's in the bite. And Joe kept saying no, even though Potiphar's wife kept dropping the bait. Drop, drop, drop. Silent faithfulness. So, in those moments, what do we do with the bait of our desire? Stuff, self, senses. I want to suggest three things. Number one, if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Number one, be honest. The best way to deal with desire, I have found, is just to fess up to it, to be honest, to bring it into the light, because it loses its power there. Be honest. Jesus was honest. Jesus was honest with the Father about the fact that he didn't want to go to the cross oh father take this cup from me yet not my will but your will and if Jesus can be honest at that point then we can be we can be honest about anything God already knows about it so it's not exactly going to surprise him he's just desiring for you to be honest with him and be honest with people Number two, sometimes temptation is so bad, you've literally just got to like leg it in the opposite direction. You've got to like run away, run a marathon, get out of that friendship, leave that workplace. Don't have a smartphone anymore. Be ruthless because when you take the bait and take a bite, sin becomes a real killer in your life and it'll cost you and it'll cost the people around you. So run away. And then number three, listen to the good stuff because, and this is really interesting when you look at what's happening in the passage here. When you say no, the enemy will play any card against you to get you to sit down and shut up and feel ashamed. He's like literally not picky. He plays dirty. And that's what happens to Joseph here. Potiphar's wife basically plays the race card against him. This Hebrew this Hebrew, this disgusting Hebrew is here to laugh at us, to make sport of us. And so she exploits this like long-standing racial tension between the Hebrews and the Egyptians in the household to get Joseph thrown into prison. And so it is with us. So if you say no, don't be surprised. If lies are told about you, don't be surprised. That's just, the the enemy wanting to undermine you and bring you shame and therefore make sure that you're around people who are going to tell you good things I, I don't know about you but if I've if I've messed up if I've done something bad and I come to Tom and tell him about it I don't want him to say to me Hannah how could you do that you're such a failure that's so awful of you you're disgusting I want him to say to me that's not like you you're a kind woman. You have wisdom to offer. I want to be around people who build me up. So listen to the good stuff and be around those people. Get accountable with good people. And, and that's all the more important because saying no doesn't always pay. And uh, I have some sympathy for Joseph here because Potiphar's wife basically sets this trap for him. It's like pure sexual harassment And uh, basically, Joseph's wardrobe gets him into trouble again. Uh, So first the dream coat, now the garment of seduction, ripped from his body. If only our senior pastor had been able to help him pick his wardrobe, I feel like he could have resolved all of his issues ahead of time. I'm uh, literally only saying that because Carl loves clothes. Okay, that's the only reason. Um, So if ever there was a moment that we'd want Joseph to be honoured, it would be now, right? I'm like, I want one of those big fingers that you get on like X Factor or something like, hey God, do you see this guy? Do you see Joseph? Do you see what he chose? Do you see how he said no? Do you see this? This is amazing. He's a man and he's in his early 20s. God, do you not know this? This was so hard. I don't think you understand. But Joseph gets thrown into prison and saying no doesn't always pay in the short term. And hell has no fury like a woman scorned. True story. So when you say no, don't get confused by the immediate results because God doesn't owe you. He's not some divine genie who's going to make it all work out perfectly if you man up and do the right thing. But he is on your side. And he is going to be with you in it as you say no. And if you um, forget everything else, just remember this next bit. If you say no, Joe, if you do a no, Joe in your life, then you'll get a technicolor life because when you say no, you also say yes. Here's the big thing about Joseph. When he said no, he wasn't just saying no. He was saying a big, emphatic, yes, yes, God, Yes to you, taking my dream to its destiny, your style and not my style. Yes to you, working that out in years of silent faithfulness and not me shortcutting away to fame and freedom with a naked Egyptian woman. Yes to you, God. And it's only when our desires get dwarfed by our desire for God that they find the right balance in our lives. That's when it happens. So if I could encourage you to do anything, then cultivate a desire to please God, to work out your yes to him this summer. What does that mean for you? How are you going to grow that yes to God such that all your other desires and your hopes and your dreams and your sex drives and everything else that is important to God finds its right balance and right place in this technicolor life that he wants you to lead? Work out your yes to him. And then lastly, just... I've talked about a lot of stuff this morning. I've talked about saying no. And for, for literally all of us, most of us, there'll be points in our life when we didn't say no and we should have said no. And it's easy in a talk like that, like this for, for that stuff to kind of come up t- to the foreground, isn't it? And to haunt us a little bit. I should have said no and I didn't. And it cost me and it cost other people. And oh gosh, it cost God. Um, but let me encourage you, Jesus. Jesus was tempted too. He wasn't a superhero. He was a man in the flesh, just like us. And uh, the temptations that Jesus faced were like Joseph to quick fix his dream, to shortcut his way to his destiny. But he said no. And where we find ourselves in the story of God's people is after Jesus. is after his no and his big yes, not my will but yours and so as we have the life of Jesus in us as you have the life of Jesus actually alive in you with Jesus your no can also be a huge emphatic yes to God and ultimately Jesus went to the cross so that the moments where we looked at the bait and we bit we can still live in the love and the freedom of our Father who forgives us and who has grace for us and who today is offering you a blank sheet and saying, let's let's stop this. I don't count your transgressions against you. I see you in Jesus, in my son, and I love you. There's grace for you. So I wonder... What that kind of grace and love is inviting you into today. Perhaps it's um, vision for the bigger yes, and you know that that's what's almost like an excitement for you. What has God got for me this summer? What would it look like to live for an audience of one more fully? Perhaps it's strength today for the no. Perhaps there's no's that you're even making right now that you know are wavering and God just wants to breathe fresh courage to you to go on saying no. And perhaps it's forgiveness for the no's that didn't happen as they should have. God's always got grace for that if you ask him sincerely. So can I pray for us? And and we can respond together to what it is that God's been doing for you in your heart as I've been speaking. So Father, we, um, we thank you so much for this story, this uh, <laughs> scandalous tale. We thank you for the silent faithfulness of Joseph who was and is a hero. And we thank you for Jesus, who, um, who was tempted to, but who resisted. And in his resistance, he paves a way for us to come to you, Father, to know help in our time of need, to know strength for our no's, to have vision and dreams for our big yes to you, to let our desire for a technicolor life in, in, in him dwarf the rest and that's what what we're after, that's the kind of technicolour life we want to lead one where our desires and our dreams find their right balance in you that they submit and they bend to the adventures that you have for us where we get to live our best technicolour life with you and so I want to pray um for my brothers and my sisters today, God, would you breathe um fresh strength into them, Holy Spirit, would you come, and perhaps just if you know that um you need fresh strength for a no and we all we all need it at one point or another. There's no shame in needing it. Maybe just open your hands out just as a sign to god i want I want to receive that, and Father, I pray that you would breathe on these are your precious kids fresh strength for the nose that they need to make and Father I pray that this summer you'd give us a new vision for a big yes to you a life that honours you a life full of love and life